This is not like preacher opinion part of the sermon. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, saying, you matter. You matter to me. And you say, oh, well, religious people matter. Spiritual people matter. Morally pure people matter. The people who are doing life the God's way, they, they matter to God. No, no, you haven't read the Gospels. The point in the Gospels that Jesus makes on this particular topic is everybody matters to God. Every single person matters. Every single person, people who are found with God right now, people who have wandered away from God, who are now lost from God, matter to God, and everybody in between. Everybody matters to God. The people who have the hardest time with that are the religious insiders, and it's still true today as it was in Jesus' day. In Luke 15, those religious insiders, the Pharisees, came to Jesus and they were grumbling, they were upset. They said, Jesus, how come you spend so much time with lost people? Notorious sinners, they said. We notice who you eat dinner with, we notice who you hang out with, we notice your disciples, the the way they act, who they are, their lack of any kind of a religious resume. They're salt-of-the-earth fishermen and and a tax collector, for crying out loud. Why are you hanging out so much? If you're really the Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, the Anointed One, that God has sent into the world as a fulfillment of uh, prophecies that are centuries old, how is it that you aren't hanging out with us? Why aren't you spending more time focused on us, the insiders, the religious people, the morally pure people? self-righteous people how come you aren't focused on us why are you spending so much time on them they don't get it they're not religious they don't understand God Jesus responds to them the way he often does with a story a parable it's called in the gospels means story but this time he doesn't just respond with one story he responds with three stories this is the only place in the gospels Jesus does that three stories that all make the exact same point Lost people matter to me. That's why I hang out with them. I'm here for them. A physician doesn't need to hang out with healthy people. The physician is here for people who are sick. I'm here for them. I'm here to call them. And if you already get it, great. Then come and follow me and be a part of that call. Be a part of sending this good news, this gospel message to the world around us. Lost people matter to me. He tells three stories. The parable of the lost sheep. A shepherd had 100 sheep, 99 were found, one was lost. He went after the one who was lost. Any good shepherd would. And then Jesus says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost person who comes back to God, who repents and turns around and comes back to God, than there is over the 99 religious people who were always there. So that's offensive. (laughs) What about us? Well, we weren't created for us. We were created to serve. We were created to put our focus out. To follow Jesus means to do that. Second story, Jesus says a woman lost a coin. She turned her whole house over in order to find the coin. When she finally found the coin, she had a party. She celebrated. She told everybody, oh, I'm so happy I found this coin that I thought was lost. It must have been a valuable coin. Celebrate with me. And then Jesus says this, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. When a lost sheep is found, when a lost coin is found, and then the third story Jesus tells in sequence in Luke 15 is the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. A man had two sons. One was rebellious, ran away, turned around, repented, came back home. The father welcomed him. The older son, who was always faithful, was always home, the religious one, was offended. How come you never had a party for me? 
And the father, God, says to his son, you always had the better part. You don't know what it's like to be lost. It's no picnic. It might look good, but there's nothing good about it. There's nothing righteous about being lost. There's nothing, there's nothing exciting about being lost. It's the wilderness. It's a wandering. Truth is, in a church like this, a church like Hope, and I'm so grateful for this, I'm preaching, whether, whether it's this campus here in West Des Moines, or you're watching at Waukee, or Johnston Grimes, or Ames, or, or wherever you're watching uh, at one of our campuses or, or online, some of you are hearing this and you're saying, I'm not the insider, I'm the outsider. I'm the one who's lost, so this is good news. This is good news actually for all of us, inside or out, but it's good news particularly for those of you who don't think you matter here, that you matter to God, or that you matter to his church. You necessarily must matter to his church if you matter to him. The church is the body of Christ, the Bible says. The church is the bride of Christ, the Bible says. The church, Christians belong to Jesus Christ, the Bible says. That's literally what a Christian is, somebody who belongs to Christ. So what Christ does, we do, if we're going to be faithful. If lost people matter to Jesus Christ, they necessarily have to matter to us as the body of Christ. It's illogical if it didn't. You say, oh, well, I'm part of the church and I don't care about lost people. Repent. Change that heart of yours. Change the way you think about that. Because Jesus isn't offering this as a polite suggestion or, or sort of a little uh, worldview on how to live out your, your faith. He's saying this is what it means to be Christian. That Christianity is more of a movement than it is a philosophy. It's more what we do than what we think or what we feel. This leads us right into our gospel reading, our Bible reading for today from Matthew chapter 4. We're starting a series of sermons today and this weekend uh, called The Jesus Run. Specifically, we're, we're looking at those places in the Gospels where Jesus calls us to run with him, figuratively, metaphorically, but to run with him spiritually. Because Christianity is something we do. Too many Christians these days have reduced Christianity into a philosophy. Well, it's what I do when I think about God. I ponder God. I split theological hairs about God. I, I discuss the finer points of doctrine with God. About, with other people about God. And that, that's what Christianity is, right? Debates, conversations about God, thinking about God. That's part of it. But the bigger part of it is what we do. It's whether or not our faith is activated. Christianity is an action. It's a movement. It, it, it's a part of this revolution, this run that Jesus calls us to take with him. So my question for you today is really simple, but it's profoundly important. And it comes straight out of the Gospels, straight out of this series that we're embarking on during the season of Lent. Lent means springtime. It's this season of transition from winter to spring. Renewal and new life spiritually for us and our faith run with God. So this is the perfect time for us to dive into this and to take this run with Jesus Christ, especially on a day like today. I mean, is this wonderful or what? This is awesome. Thank you for coming to church. I'm really glad that you're here. Jesus calls us to run in the same way he did with his first disciples. He saw two brothers, Matthew 4 says, Simon also called Peter and Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. It was their job. It wasn't their hobby. It was their small business which means they probably poured blood, sweat, and tears into it like any of you who are small business people do in order to eke out a living, in order to make it. This is 
the first followers of Jesus. This is their background. They're small business people. They have a boat. They, they go out and they fish. It depends on how much they catch and what the market is like and whether they can sell it or not. And they're trying to make it in the world. They're salt of the earth. They're, they're down to earth. They're, they're ordinary crusty people. Here's, here's Simon Peter and here's Andrew. And now from our advantage of looking at that from the year 2018, looking back, we know these two people become pretty big deals. <laughs> Andrew's the patron saint of several countries in Europe, for instance. Are you? No, he is. He's a big deal. St. Peter has a basilica in Vatican City named after him. A little small little church, you know, a little place where the Pope hangs out. Big deal. St. Peter, St. Andrew. But their story started here in a big lake called the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel where Jesus camped out and was starting his ministry out of a town called Capernaum. And when he started as a young man of about 30 years old, he came to the Sea of Galilee. How fascinating that he didn't start out in the synagogues of Galilee, that he didn't go to the, to the rabbis, that he didn't find the Pharisees, he didn't find the religious leaders, chief priests and scribes. He went to fishermen. He went to ordinary, down-to-earth people, and then he gave them this radical invitation. Just talk about cool. Jesus is Clint Eastwood in an old western cool, folks. And if you miss that, you're totally missing it. He walks in, says hardly anything. Follow me. That's it. That's so, I, mean, just, I can't, I, I'm not cool, so I can't really do it. But imagine Clint Eastwood doing that. I'll teach you how to fish for people. Oh, yeah, we're in. Let's go. That's the way this works. But here's the thing I want you to think about. These are fishermen. Here's Peter. Here's Andrew. Here's James. Here's John. I don't know that. But they're crusty fishermen. I love this guy's hat. It says teed off. Isn't that awesome? And he's having a smoke. He's had it. You can almost feel it. You can almost capture. He's smiling a little bit. He's kind of got that, that view. Peter was, was full of color and personality, full of, uh, of vigor and, 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 and full of spit. You could just hear it in him. He spoke before he thought a lot of times. He has no filter. You'll find that if you've never read the Gospels and you start reading through it. He just, oh, here's what I think. <laughs> and Jesus is like, Pump the brakes, Peter. Pump the brakes. Hold on. Come on back. Here's Peter and Andrew and James and John. James and John are the sons of thunder. If you had friends in your circle of friends and their nickname was sons of thunder, what do you think their personality would be like? These are the people Jesus calls to follow him first. Not after he gets the religious establishment set up, not after he gets all the rabbis and the chief priests, not, not after he, you know, get, gets everything going and organizes it and moves out. It's these folks, ordinary, everyday, small business people who are eking out a living. That's pretty crazy. You know what's even crazier? That they dropped their nets and followed him. How many people with that kind of personality do you know who would just go on a whim? So, so somebody who is, you know, seasoned, street smart, is not their, their first rodeo. They're, they're not going to be pulled by every wave that hits. But here comes this Jesus. What does that tell you about 
his attractiveness, his magnetism, his charisma, how his light had to shine in a way that nobody else's has before or has since. You ever meet a celebrity? You, you find yourself in the same restaurant or airplane or, or, or room or beach or, or, or grocery store, and so you're like, whoa, there's that famous person, whoa, we go a little crazy. Jesus blows them all away, apparently. Because if that person just walked up to you that you'd never met before and said, come follow me, would you be like, okay. <laughs> You're like, some of you are like, yeah, well, if it was the right celebrity, I might. But okay, well, you get my point then. They don't even really know who Jesus is yet. And he shows up and the Bible says, at once they dropped their nets. They left their nets and followed him at once. Here's their boat. This is fascinating. When we were in Galilee, we took a picture like this, Sally and I. Uh, this is a boat. This is the, the remains of a boat that they found stuck in the mud when the Sea of Galilee of, uh, several years ago was uh, in the midst of a drought and was, with the water levels were way down. Much to their surprise, archaeologists found this. They pulled it out. They carbon dated it. This is so cool for those of you who like this. They carbon dated it to the exact time when Peter and Andrew and James and John would have been using boats like this. This could have been Peter's boat. It just gives me goosebumps thinking about it, honestly. You say, well, that's it? It kind of looked more like this, this in the back, if you can see just a little bit of that. That's what they left behind. They left behind their jobs. They left behind their community. They left behind family. They left behind everything that was familiar in order to follow this guy they just met. And they weren't the kind of people who would normally do something like this. Isn't that interesting? Immediately, they followed him. They didn't say, um, do you have a business card you could leave with us? We could think about this. Do you have a website that we could check out? Um, if we follow you, Jesus, is there a health plan involved? Uh, are we going to get dental in this thing? I mean, if we go with you, I've got some logistical questions for you, Jesus, before I say yes, that I'd like to just kind of run by you real quick. If you wouldn't mind answering those for me, none of it. At once they dropped their nets and they followed him. Immediately, Mark's gospel says, immediately, boom, on the spot. Why? Because they believed that this man had what they'd been looking their whole lives for. And here's the good news for you today. Whether you think of yourself as an insider with God or an outsider, that same good news is here for you today. I mean, that radical, life-changing good news is here. You can minimize it. You can play church. You can go through the religious motions of listening to a sermon and just say, oh, yeah, well, whatever. I agree or don't agree. Or you can do what Peter and his brother Andrew did. What the sons of thunder, James and John, did. And you can let it in to your mind, heart, and soul. Let it sink in and realize this is really what life is supposed to be. This is the pathway that I need. This is the Jesus run that I need to take. And the season of Lent, which means springtime, is the perfect time to find this new life. Because we're going the wrong way. Remember the scene in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles where they're going the wrong way? And, and they say, you're going the wrong way! And they're like, oh yeah, we're going the wrong way. Woo, whatever. That could be your response to this sermon. 
More importantly, that could be a response to Jesus' invitation. Oh, Jesus, yeah, we're going to drop everything and follow you. I'm going to stop living for myself and stop living for the world and stop living for all the things that everybody reminds me all the time I'm supposed to live for and I'm going to start living for you and go on this run with you and start living my life at school and at work and in my social circles and in my neighborhood and when I'm alone I'm going to start living this life the way you made me to live it. Yeah, right. Let's go back to Christianity just being a philosophy. It's a lot safer that way for me. It's a lot more comfortable for me. It's a lot easier to fit that Jesus into my heart where I just get to think about him and every once in a while question him. And Jesus says, go ahead, ask all your questions. That's part of it. But don't miss the main point. Come run with me. Let's go. Turn around. That's what he told his disciples right before he said, follow him. Repent, which in the Greek literally means turn around. You're going the wrong way. (laughs) Somebody has to love you enough to tell you, and Jesus does. You ever get done with a day, and you're brushing your teeth, and before you do, you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, no. And you say to yourself, has that been in my teeth all day? Why didn't anyone tell me? Why didn't somebody say something about this crud that's between my two front teeth and is so, you gotta be kidding, that's been there all, oh no! Why didn't somebody care enough to say something? Jesus does. (laughs) He says, you got something between your teeth. You're going the wrong way. You're living for yourself too much. You're living for other people's ideas and visions for your life too much. Turn around. Come on this new pathway and run with me. And then halfway through his ministry, let me give you just a little preview of what's to come. Jesus says to Peter and to his brother Andrew and to James and John, hey, isn't this great? Blessed are your eyes to see what you get to see. And your ears to hear what you get to hear because you're following me. And they probably in their hearts are like, amen. Best decision we ever made to drop our nets and turn around and repent and follow you, to give up everything that we were living for that wasn't giving us life, and to follow you. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. You think that's radical. Let me be a little bit of a tour guide here and try to explain to you, just at least introduce to you, if you don't know, what Jesus is saying when he says the kingdom of heaven is near. It's not just churchy words. It's not just, you know, a, a, a glimpse of a heaven with little cherubs and wings and harps and isn't that nice and cute? The kingdom of heaven is a radical departure from life as we know it. It's taking war and saying, here's peace to overcome it. It's taking violence and saying, Here's the destruction of violence. Not with more violence and hate, but with something way more powerful. The only thing powerful enough to overcome violence, love. Let me show you a better way. Repent, turn around. 
How is it we expect an end to war when we keep fighting war with more war? How is it we expect an end to violence when we fight violence with more violence? How is it we expect an end to hate when we fight hate with hating people? How is it we expect an end to darkness when we bring into darkness more darkness to combat the darkness? How is it we expect an end to death when we say the way we're gonna, we're gonna overcome death for us that we're afraid of is we're gonna kill the people, we're gonna bring death to them. And we get what we get as a result. Welcome to planet Earth, fallen and messed up and upside down, where we keep trying to find worldly human solutions to bigger than this world problems where we won't humble ourselves enough before a holy God the way Abraham Lincoln called the nation to do once upon a time, right, in the midst of, uh, of the abolition of slavery and a civil war, where he said it's time for us nationally to humble ourselves before a holy God and to admit that we have messed up, that we've made it all about us instead of following this God who calls us to a better pathway, to run with him. The kingdom of heaven is near. A kingdom that takes this upside down fallen world that we've looked at over the first sermon series of this year, the, the, the whole run through Genesis, that how it was fallen and messed up and upside down and Jesus comes and right away with all of the passion and all of the cool and all of the power that only the Messiah, the Son of God can bring, shows up to some fishermen at the Sea of Galilee and he says, follow me. I want you to turn around from the life you're living, which is messed up. It's messing you up and it's messing other people up. Turn around, repent, and follow me because I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven. I'm bringing life for your death. I'm bringing light for your darkness. I'm bringing hope for your despair. I'm bringing peace for your wars. I'm bringing life the way it was supposed to be from the very beginning. You want to come running with me? Peter and Andrew are like, yes. Thank you, God, for showing up in my life and giving me this invitation. I'll give it all up to come and follow you because Christianity is a movement. It's a run. It's something we do. It's not just something we think about and debate. Are you running with Jesus, church? Are you running with him as an individual Christian, as a part of this church? Because your life depends on it. And the outcomes of people all around you depend on it. The kingdom of heaven is a big deal. It's a radical, world-correcting deal. And it's forever. It's not just, oh, here's a little philosophy of life that might help you get through some hard times. Oh, it's so much bigger than that. It's everything. It's way, it's truth, it's life. It's the one who says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Follow me, Peter. Follow me, Andrew. Follow me, James and John. Follow me, Church of Hope. Follow me. And I'll teach you how to fish for people. I'll teach you what you were created for. I'll teach you to see things your eyes have longed to see and hear things your ears have longed to hear your whole life and maybe you didn't even know it. I'll show you things nobody else can show you, Jesus says. That's why they drop their nets. And that's why we'll do anything to get this word out as a church. If I thought standing on my head and doing a hula during the sermon would help lead one person to Christ, I'd do it. Thank God I don't. So I'm not going to do it. But I do think having friendly Jesus show up might help. 
If you don't know who Friendly Jesus is, everyone say, hello, Friendly Jesus. Friendly Jesus is showing up at every campus, wherever you are right now. And he's showing up because it was this kook, is the kookiest idea I have had in a week. <laughs> and the thought was that I got it when I was at Trader Joe's, or at least the seed was planted a few weeks ago, when I asked my wife, why are there so many kids here and why are they so excited about it? Why do they keep looking around and pointing? And she says, they're looking for the pig. Apparently there's a pig, a stuffed little toy pig at Trader Joe's. And when kids find it, they go tell the cashier and they get a sucker. I said, we're doing that. It's sort of like Where's Waldo meets Elf on a Shelf meets the Trader Joe's pig, only it's not as creepy as the Elf on a Shelf. It's Friendly Jesus, everybody. And Friendly Jesus is somewhere in the place where you're worshiping right now. I'm not saying where, but the sermon is about Jesus going to the Sea of Galilee. Think water. <laughs> Calling fishermen to follow him. I don't know, kids. He might be somewhere around here. And if you spot him, kids of whatever age, looks like the 42-year-olds are pretty excited. If you spot them, kids, then after the service, you can come up and get a selfie with them, or your parents can take the picture. Take that picture back to the Connect, Grow, Serve tables here at our West Des Moines campus. At other campuses, something similar to that. Your campus pastor will give you instructions, and you get a treat. You say, oh, that's so manipulative. What? Yes, it is. <laughs> Unapologetically, because Jesus, our Lord, says, let's read it together. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Jesus had a huge heart for kids. But do you notice he put the whole kingdom of heaven thing in here? When he's talking about kids, cute kids, right? The context of this is there were kids making some noise during church. What? Kick them out! That's what the disciples said. We're having a grown-up teaching in here because Christianity is all about the philosophy of... Oh, never mind. Jesus rebuked them and said, no, 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 let the children come because they already get what you're looking for. They already get the kingdom of heaven. They already get love and joy and peace in the way that grown-ups need to get it before the world kicks it out of them by exposing them to the darkness. They already get the light because they're closer to it. They already understand the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them. Learn from them, Jesus says. Run some more in your life. Laugh some more in your life. Play some more in your life. Enjoy more of your life. Even when it isn't perfect, because it never will be. And it isn't perfect for those kids either. So friendly Jesus, if you meet friendly Jesus, even if you don't go up and get your picture taken after the service, if you run out of time, just go to the Connect Grow Serve tables and tell the friendly volunteers there, you know where friendly Jesus is, tell them and they'll give you a treat. And then they'll also give you a little punch card. And if you get all six Sundays, oh, I know, I'm going for it here. <laughs> all six, some of you are like, oh, but we have soccer. Choose wisely, all right? There will be no grace for soccer on Sunday mornings. It's up to you. I don't care. 
You have six weekends where Jesus calls you to hang out in his house. You say, what do kids get out of church? I mean, we'll drop them off at Sunday school. Good, I'm glad you do that. They should, you should do that. That's a big part of it. And then bring them to worship. Worship together as a family at 915 and then drop them off for Sunday school at 11 or vice versa. It's all built in for you. <laughs> you can do both. Spend the morning at church in God's house. What, what are kids going to get out of worship? I mean, the sermons are over their head. The, they don't get all the words of the songs. They're, they're not going to understand all the Bible readings. They're, they're not going to know what's happening. They can't even see everything. Here's what they're going to get. They're going to get the rhythm of weekly worship that God created them to establish in their lives. Statistically, it's atrocious. Kids who don't develop the weekly habit of worship when they're young do not keep the weekly worship of habit when they become young adults. There are exceptions to every rule, but that's what all of the stats show. Teach your kids the rhythm of weekly worship. Teach them what it means to hang out in an intergenerational community of people who love the Lord, who sing their songs, who pray their prayers, who hear the word of God, who, who gather around the sacraments. Teach them what it means to be the church. Teach it what it, mean, what, what it means for them to be on this Jesus run, even before they understand all of it. Let the children come, Jesus says. Let them hear my adult teaching even if they don't get it all. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now, if your kids are screaming bloody murder and they're distracting everybody around them, we have a nursery, all right? And we have other options for you. And my, my favorite parents in this church are the ones who are out in the lobby right now. And they're running around with their, trying to chase their kids around while they're listening to this sermon. And, and they're in the cry rooms over here and over here underneath the grandstands. And at different campuses, they're in different places as well. The effort you make to get here and to bring your kids here is monumental. And it will pay off. It is an investment in the souls of your children. You are teaching them things that are eternal. You can teach them how to throw a ball. You can teach them right from wrong. You can teach them good and bad. You can teach them really important things, but you will never teach them something more important than having a relationship with an eternal God who calls them to follow him, the way, the truth, and the life. They matter here. Your kids matter here. They're a part of this church now, not just in the future. They are a part of who we are. Give God praise for the kids in this church. Let them hear you. We want them here. Friendly Jesus. So let me, let me bring this back around to Matthew 4 because I think this is important. You hear all this, you're like, great, we should follow Jesus. We should repent. We should turn around. The kingdom's coming. We should fish for people. That's what he says. Why again? Number one, we fish for people, Jesus says, because I command it. When I was a kid, my dad used to say, Mike, when I say jump, you say, oh, you knew my dad. <laughs> it's an authority issue. Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say, you know, if you feel like it, if you, if you, get, if you get in the mood to share your faith, to invite somebody to church, to let your light shine, then go ahead and do it. He, said, he commands it. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. You'll be my ambassadors to the ends of the earth. This is who you are. Run with me, Jesus says. Don't just think about me. Run with me. Jesus commands it. Second, lives depend on it. Eternity's at stake, folks. It's like we're on this ship, the Titanic, and there's a lifeboat that's big enough for everybody to get on. How is it loving again that we don't tell people where the lifeboat is? 
When I get on an airplane and, and, and I realize somebody doesn't know Jesus and he asks what I do for a living, I don't say, uh, uh I don't know. I say, I'm a pastor, let's talk about this, because you've just told me already you don't have faith, you're against God and religion and all that. You kind of slip that out. So let's, <laughs> we've got three and a half hours, let's talk. <laughs> it's no accident you're sitting here, is what I said to him. Same thing we say to you, because we mean it, we pray about it. It's no accident you're here today, wherever you are. We're glad you're here. We want kids to be here. We want adults to be here. We want people of all ages to be here. All ethnicities, all backgrounds, all races, all, all faith origins, all, all stories, wherever you come from, all sexual orientations. We want you all to come into God's house. You matter here. You're welcome here. Lives are depending on it. We want people to know this good news. And we'll do anything to get it out. Jesus commands it. Lives depend on it. And third, the thing I've been saying the whole sermon, the thing I've been saying for 25 years, following Jesus is a movement. It's more than a philosophy. It's what we do. So what are you doing? What are you doing as a Christian? How are you living out your faith? Who could tell you're a Christian by the way you live out your daily life? You say, all right. I get that Jesus wants us to do it. I get why, biblically, we're just thinking about it here. But how? You tell me I'm supposed to fish, but I don't know how to fish. Jesus says fish for people. I say, Jesus, I don't know how to fish. What kind of bait do I use? What kind of pole do I use? What kind of net do I use? What kind of boat should I have? How, how do I? I don't know how to fish for people. Here's the short biblical summary of it. Number one, develop a heart of love for people. That's harder than it sounds. In church, we say the answer is love, right? If the answer isn't Jesus, it's love. <laughs> it's the answer to almost every question. So that looks right in a church. Love people, yes, we're for that, but are you living it out? I'm not just talking about loving the lovable people, I'm talking about loving the unlovable people. That's the hard part. If you don't love the unlovable people, ask God to change your heart. It has been said the problem with too many Christians is we have soft feet and hard hearts. When God wants hard, calloused feet that are used to walking and soft hearts. Hearts that have love for the world around us. Hearts that have love for people with whom we disagree. In this culture these days, the game is, if I disagree with you, I will demonize you. I will cast you out. I will dismiss you. I will say, we are done because we have a political disagreement or because we have a social disagreement over a hot button issue of our day. And if we disagree, we cannot have fellowship together. We cannot connect as if the bond of Jesus Christ isn't enough to make us one when our politics divides us. That's the way of the world. Jesus says, repent. I want you to love the people you disagree with. I want you to love the people you debate with online. I don't want you to dismiss them. I don't want you to dump them as your friends because they said something you don't like. I want you to love all people all the time. Number two, how to fish? Jesus says avoid the mud quickly. Don't be too passive. The average Lutheran invites somebody to church statistically according to the Search Institute once every 27 years. I know. The only good news of that is we're beating the Episcopalians, who are once every 56. They could care less. I'm just telling you what the numbers say. Don't shoot the messenger. This is a problem, church. Hope 
you're kind of messing with the stats, I will say that. Invite people, invite people, invite your friends, invite your coworkers, invite your classmates, invite your neighbors, invite the people you hang out with. On the other end, don't get stuck in the mud of being too aggressive though. My fond, fun way of saying this, just to remind you, I hope pretty quickly, is you don't start a conversation with somebody who's lost from God with, hey, you think it's unseasonably hot here today, where you're going, it's super hot and it's gonna be that way forever. This is not, go back to number one, love all people all the time, but invite them. You say, oh, I'm not the inviting type. I'm guessing you're not the invite to church people type, but you're probably the inviting type. I realize this in my own life. This is embarrassing, but I'm going to tell the story because I think it makes the point. Yesterday, I'm tweeting, and I'm all excited because our son who works for NASCAR, he's a TV producer there, has been working with Dale Earnhardt Jr. I know. They put together this pre-race preview that you can watch on Fox before the Daytona 500 today if you're a race fan and you're into it. If you're not, I don't care. I'm not a racing evangelist. You either get racing or you don't and you're missing it, but that's your problem. So here's the thing. I tweeted this. For race fans like me, there's already a buzz of excitement in the air for this Sunday afternoon's Daytona 500. If it's not your thing, this video might help. A video created by John Householder, our son, and Dale Jr., his new best bud. John says, hey, I got his email. Do you want to know what it is? I'm like, yes! <laughs> Do you want to know? <laughs> that would be bad. I won't tell you. But they were working for three weeks on this video. Who knew it took that long? And they found out, he confirmed for me, that Dale Jr. was baptized and confirmed Lutheran. And then like a lot of Lutheran kids, he left the church. <laughs> and now he's coming back. He proposed to his wife in a Lutheran church in Europe that was named after his family. It's a big deal for him again. So John and Dale, these two Lutheran kids, have kind of hit it off. Dale Jr., if you don't know, is the most popular, voted the most popular race car driver in the world over the last decade, every year. So I tweet this, not five minutes later, I check to see who's liking my tweet. Pastor Jeremy, who cares, move down. <laughs> I love Jeremy, I'm just kidding. That was cool. I, I, I'm looking at it say, Ralph Dale Earnhardt Jr. liked my tweet. The real one with the blue check mark. The real one, the authentic Dale Jr. Looked, read my tweet, hit the heart button. <laughs> I told you I'm not cool. I'm not even gonna hide it right now. I got down into my knees and I said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen the glory of thy salvation, for a light shining into the darkness of the Gentile. Oh, I can die happy now, God. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and your pastor are like this <laughs> for a second and a half. So when that happened, I, I pretty much almost passed out. And then I just kept it to myself the rest of the day. <laughs> no! I told everybody! I mean, I told strangers, hey, guess what? check this out. Yeah, that's Dale Jr. You know, no, I don't care. He'd like my tweet. I told my wife like 12 times. I called the kids, mom, Dale Jr. liked my tweet. Woo! It was the, I mean, it's good news. How do we keep that to ourselves? 
Jesus Christ kicks down the door of heaven for you and for the world around you. Ah, whatever. No big. I'm not going to get too excited about that. Jesus Christ saves us to a new and an everlasting life by calling us to turn around and run with him and find the life we've been looking for forever so that we can be blessed to see what we get to see and hear what we get to hear. I'm going to keep that to myself. I'm not going to share that good news with anybody. It's a private thing between me and God. That's what the world keeps telling me. And God's word tells you the exact opposite. Invite people. Tell them to come and meet Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus Christ. And then finally, let your light shine. Let your light shine by the way you live out your life in mission. Individually, but also collectively as a church, you realize we can do so much more together. It's one church in multiple locations, all of our campuses. God made us a big church for a reason. With, with the power that comes with being a big church comes great responsibility. So I haven't done this. I don't know if I've ever done it quite like this ever. Here's the way you can let your light shine so that the world will notice and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's fishing for people. You can go on a mission trip. We have 11 of them this year, all over the world. Some of them we're going multiple times. You have like 20 choices to go on a mission trip. Find one. You're not too old, you're not too young. It's time. These are some of our global mission partners on the next page. And if it wasn't for hope, some of these mission partners would really be struggling. Here's our local mission partners on the next page. These are just the ones with logos. <laughs> then there's the ones that are just a little bit more shoestring and they don't have a website or a logo and we love and support them too. Hope is not a church where we just say, oh, it's all hope. We're here for them. We're here to serve through these ministries. And if it weren't for you, Hope, this is putting it very conservatively. I'd say two-thirds of these ministries wouldn't exist. They wouldn't exist like they do now, for sure. What motivates us to do a Super Bowl drive like we did a few weeks ago? What motivates us to do a Lenten outreach project like we're doing now for Ruth Harbor? What drives us and moves us to do this? Ruth Harbor is a ministry that was started by Lutheran Church of Hope. We don't talk about that a lot because it's not about us. But I'm telling you that just to help you understand the heritage of the story of this place. Three women in our church were at a Bible study at Hope and they found out in a Bible study discussion in the midst of that Bible study that they all had the same dream. And the dream was to start a home for unwed, young, pregnant women who were facing an unplanned pregnancy. That it would give them a choice, a way to choose life for, for themselves and for their kids. It would give them another option. That the world often says, oh, there aren't any. You got to do this or that and that's it. Well, rather than get lost in the fight, which seems to end nowhere, as a church, we says, well, what if we actually provide a way? What if we actually start a home? And so we did. I preached about it with those three women who had the vision and the next Sunday and at the end of the service, we were a little church back then. This guy comes up to me after the service and he says, would $100,000 help? Yes. Yes, it would. Oh, you mean for Ruth Harbor? Oh, yeah, 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 that'd be great. Yes, it absolutely would. Let's go. And it was on. And we built Ruth Harbor, on, or bought Ruth Harbor, turned a home into Ruth Harbor at 42nd and Ingersoll, and now it's expanded and grown, and we want to start a second home in Carlisle. It's time for us to let our light shine. It's time for us to invite. 
It's time for us to go. It's time for us to run with Jesus. It's time for us to give. That house, the McCoy house, we want to give them market value. They're good Christian people. We want to be fair to them. It's over $400,000 for a seven-bedroom house. We want to pay for the whole thing as a church. We want to buy the whole house before Easter. The good news is we already have the money. The bad news, it's still in your pockets. We need to redistribute. We need to move it around. We just need to free your money a little bit. Ah, the Jesus run. It's going to be a good one. Let's go.